If you would join me in Bible study this morning on this Feast of Trumpets, turn to Psalm 40, verse 7. Those of you who know me well know I always start every one of the festivals with Psalm 40, verse 7. Because it reminds us that our Messiah, Yeshua, is the point of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's all about salvation of fallen mankind through the shed blood of our Messiah Yeshua, salvation by faith, that we then walk out in love. Psalm 40 verse 7 says, Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. Meaning all of the scripture is to tell us about Messiah's first and second coming. And God tells us when those will be in the book of Leviticus chapter 23 which outlines the first coming of Messiah and the second coming down to the day and the hour for the first coming. For the second coming, he's not quite so specific because he commands us to what? To watch. Watch. But instead of starting in Leviticus, let's start in 1 Thessalonians because 1 Thessalonians tells us why it's so important that we understand Leviticus chapter 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Its point is, know and understand those appointed times of the Lord that are in Leviticus 23. So it begins in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, says, But concerning the times and the seasons, those words refer to the feasts and the festivals, the appointed times of Leviticus 23. It says, Brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Why? Because they celebrated them year in and year out. Why did the Gentile churches celebrate the feasts and festivals of Leviticus 23? Paul taught them to. Keep a finger here. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The church at Corinth were believers coming out of the Gentile world. 1 Corinthians 12 2 says you know that you were Gentiles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 starting in verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 starting in verse 7. Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Messiah, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. What feast? Passover. 1 Corinthians is all about the way the, first the Corinthians were keeping the feast of Passover, but they weren't keeping it quite right, and Paul has to make some adjustments. They were treating it like the feast of Bacchus. He said, no, 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 that's not how you celebrate the feast of the Lord. So go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and let's continue with verse 2. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, what is the day of the Lord? That's a thousand year period. It goes from the rapture and the resurrection to the new heavens and the new earth. So you've got the rapture and the resurrection followed by the seven year tribulation period followed by the 993 years of the messianic kingdom. How can a thousand years be described as a day? Psalm 90 verse 4 and 2 Peter 3, 8. A day is to the Lord as a thousand years. 
So Elijah taught that the six days of creation followed by the Sabbath day of rest was to teach 6,000 years till the day of the Lord, that last thousand year period. So verse 2, for you, know, you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. They shall not escape. Throughout the Old and New Testament, the tribulation period is described as being like labor pains of a pregnant woman. Verse 4 says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. What keeps you from being caught unawares where they get caught unawares? What do you know that they don't? The timing of the Lord's coming by the feasts and the festivals, the appointed times of Leviticus chapter 23. Now God has appointed times. That's the point of chapter 23. But Brad asked me if I would repeat something from last night before we get too far into it. In the book of Leviticus 23. So let's turn back there to Leviticus 23. In addition to the Sabbath, on the seventh day of the week, there are seven appointed times of the Lord. The first four in the spring, and they teach the first coming of the Lord. The last three are in the fall, and they teach the second coming. Messiah died at Passover, was buried on leavened bread, raised on the Feast of First Fruits, and the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 at the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. But did you notice that they were the fulfillments that Messiah fulfilled were on the exact days that God had said? And his death was at 3 p.m., exactly as God had foretold. Then in the fall, you've got the Feast of Trumpets today that teaches the rapture and the resurrection. Followed by the Day of Atonement, which teaches the Lord's return for Armageddon. Followed by the Feast of Tabernacles, which teaches God establishing the kingdom. Now those three in the fall. The last one, the Feast of Sukkot, God gives us precise information as to when that one is fulfilled. And notice in the spring they were fulfilled in order. So in the fall, they will be fulfilled in order. The last one, the fulfillment of it. Keep a finger in Leviticus 23 and go to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs has a bit of information in chapter 7 that we need when studying the Gospels. In the Gospels, Messiah tells the parable of the landowner who went away, right? But before he went away, he gave talents to his servants. He went away for a long journey. And then when he came back, he judged his servants based on how they had performed in his absence, right? You guys remember that. Well, in Proverbs chapter 7, there's some detail to that parable that Messiah doesn't give us because he assumes you know the scripture. So in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 19, for my husband, that's the bridegroom, that's Messiah, is not at home. He's not here on earth. He's gone on a long journey. That's Proverbs 1.10 verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And then he will return. Verse 20 says, he has taken a bag of money with him. The word money is actually silver. Silver stands for redemption. 
So he has taken the rapture and resurrected saints to be with him before he returns. And then it says, and he will come home. That is to take up his residence one more to tabernacle with us on the appointed day. Do you see that phrase in the appointed day? That's not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew says on the full moon. The full moon takes place on the 15th of the month. Which of the fall festivals is on the 15th of month? The Feast of Tabernacles begins at the full moon. Tabernacles celebrates God dwelling amongst men. So the last of the appointed times of the Lord gets fulfilled at the new moon. That is at the Feast of Tabernacles. So let's go back to Leviticus 23. And see why I keep referring to this as describing Messiah's first and second coming. If you want to make my skin crawl, call them the feasts of Israel or the Jewish feasts because they are neither. In the five books that Moses wrote that contain the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, how, time, how many times does the word Jew, Jewish, or Judah appear? Not a single one. So verse 1 says, And the Lord, see how the Lord is spelled, that's the tetragrammaton, the yod He vav He, the he will be whom he will be of Exodus chapter 3 verse 15. Spoke to Moses saying, the word saying means what follows is a quote, it comes directly out of the Lord's mouth. The Lord is our Messiah Yeshua. But wait a minute, he wasn't born yet. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Colossians chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1 tells us he created the world. He's always been. God from all eternity. Speak to the children of Israel. Why didn't God say speak to Israel? Because the children of Israel is a broader term. When Israel came out of Egypt, did they come out alone? Or with a great mixed multitude? Great mixed multitude. Having faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are collectively called the children of Israel. And speak to them, the feast of the Lord. But that word feast isn't feast. What's the Hebrew word for feast, everybody? Chag, C-H-A-G. This word is moedim, from moed. It means an appointed time. So the appointed times of whom? Of the Lord. The word means an appointment. The Lord made an appointment to come down and intervene in the affairs of mankind personally and bodily through our Messiah, Yeshua. Which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. The word holy means set apart unto God. The word convocations means a rehearsal of that which is to come. A gathering together to rehearse. He says, these are my appointed times. Why does he reiterate, these are my appointed times? They're not just for the Jews. They're not just Jewish. They're not just for Israel. Who are they for? Everyone. Verse 3, six days shall work be done, but the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. Again, the word holy means set apart unto God. The Sabbath was set apart unto God in Genesis chapter 2. But then convocation means a gathering together to rehearse. When you celebrate the seventh day Sabbath, you are rehearsing the coming millennial kingdom, the day of the Lord. 
So every week we get reminded that the Lord shall return. Messiah came once, yes, but he's coming again. He's returning to complete everything that was prophesied. It says, you shall do no work on it. It's the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. Then verse 4 says, these are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. Does that mean we can change the time, pick any day? Why? Because they're appointed and they rehearse Messiah's first and second coming. What if we decide, well, you know what? Passover falls in the middle of the week this year. That's inconvenient. Let's just move it to the weekend when we're here anyway. What does it do to the picture if you move the dates around? It changes it. It causes confusion. It causes people not to see. These appointed times are collectively called the Shalosh Regalim, which means the three feet. The three times that all Israel was required to be in Jerusalem. So when Messiah dies at Passover, where's all Israel? In Jerusalem. When Messiah rises from the grave, where's all Israel? In Jerusalem. When the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, why does it say there's Jews and proselytes from all nations of the world there? Because they're there to see it. When Messiah returns, where will all Israel be? Right there to see it. So, Verse 4, these are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. But twilight is not correct. Fix it in your Bible. It's Bain Ha'aravim, which means between the evenings, which is 3 p.m. On what day did Messiah die? The 14th day of the first month. At what hour? At 3 p.m. So for 1,500 years before Messiah is even born, Israel has been killing the lamb at 3 p.m. Messiah is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Then three hours later, verse 6, on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. They had to hurry to get Messiah down off the cross. Why? Because at sundown begins the high Sabbath. This teaches the burial of Messiah. He was buried just as it started. And then if we go to verse 9, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring a sheaf for the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. What did Paul call Messiah in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? The first fruits of the resurrection. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So you find the first Sabbath in the week of unleavened bread and the day after is the Feast of first fruits. That's when Messiah rose. Was Messiah resurrected on the Sabbath? No. Should we expect to be caught up on the Sabbath? No. He was raised when the Sabbath ended. So let's keep our eyes open tonight. Oh, and by the way, when you watch the sky tonight, don't only look for the first sliver of the new moon, but there is a comet that is visible to the naked eye that's brighter than any comet's ever been that's available and can be seen only during this feast of the Feast of Trumpets. It should be green, it should be beautiful, and once the Feast of Trumpets is over, it's gone and won't be seen again for hundreds of years. Isn't that something? 
I wonder if that's our ride. I'm just curious. Yes, Ms. Kathy. Four hundred and thirty years, which corresponds to the number of years before the Exodus. It's amazing how God does things. If you're here last night, just saw that in the scriptures that prophesied Israel returned back to the land. It actually included the year 1948. It's actually right there in the letters of the word Teshuvu, which is return. Okay. And then go down to verse 15. You shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, that's the Feast of first fruits, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. So you count seven weeks. And what's seven times seven? Anybody know? 49. Then it says count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. So that's 50 days. That's Shavuot, or 50 days in Greek is Pentecost. So God told us when Messiah would be crucified, buried, resurrected, and when the Holy Spirit would come. And then in verse 22, after the four spring feasts are concluded, we have a verse that seems totally unrelated. But it's not. When you reap the harvest of your land. So God's likening the seven appointed times of the Lord to Israel's harvest festival and how does Israel harvest the land there's the first fruits then there's the main harvest and then there's the gleanings Messiah was the first fruits we are the main harvest those that were not saved at the rapture and resurrection but get saved during the seven year tribulation they are the gleanings so it's not out of place. When it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap. That is, you must leave the gleaning. Verse 23, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, here's the start of the fall feast. It comes after the harvest is complete. What did Messiah say to the apostles? Don't tell me there's yet four months to the harvest. The fields are already white under harvest. Yeah. Verse 23, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, in the seventh month, that's this month, on the first day of the month, that's today, you shall have a Sabbath rest. So whatever day of the week it falls on, it's a Sabbath day. This year it happens to fall on the weekly Sabbath, which is terribly unusual. I can't remember when that's happened before. I'm sure it has, but I can't remember one. A memorial of blowing of trumpets. That's where you get the Yom Teruah. That blowing of trumpets is an awakening trumpet blast. A holy convocation. It's a rehearsal set apart to God. A gathering together to rehearse Messiah's second coming. It starts with the blowing of the trumpet on the Feast of Trumpets. It says, you shall do no customary work on it. You shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So, God said, let's blow the trumpet, so what should we do? Let's blow the trumpet. Before we do, let's read Psalm 27. The entire theme of the Feast of Trumpets is resurrection. Down to the very psalm that we read before we blow the trumpet. Psalm 27, a psalm of David. Psalm of David. You ready? Yes. 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. What does the name Yeshua mean? Salvation. What did Messiah save himself in John chapter 8? He said, I am the light of the world. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is, my, is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Why? Because the Lord was with David. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Just a question, I'll answer that in a minute. Verse 4, here we go. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. The only thing David wants from the Lord is this. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. All the days of my life doesn't just mean in this physical world, but in eternity. So David's one request of the Lord is that he can live eternally in the presence of the Lord. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble is another term for what? The tribulation period. He shall hide me in his pavilion. Another term. Well, we get to the terms. So during the tribulation period, where does David plan to be? With the Lord in God's temple in heaven. How can he get there? Through the resurrection. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me, shall set me high upon a rock. Who's that rock? That's Yeshua, our Messiah. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Those praises, the sacrifices of joy, are joyous shouts, otherwise known as teruah. Teruah. So the same name for the awakening trumpet blast is the name of those joyous shouts. And we're going to see when Messiah comes, it's with a trumpet call and with a shout. That's enough of that psalm. Let me read you the traditional blessing. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam. Asher kedeshanu b'mitzvotah v'zivanu l'ashishmoah kol ha'shofar. Which means, let's listen to the sounding of the shofar. God will do it much better, but... Oh, don't do that, don't do that. Got to do it much better. <clears throat> so, let's get into it. The names of this Feast of Trumpets, there are many. First, Rosh Hashanah, which means New Year. Literally, the head of the year, because it's the birthday of the world. If the world is going to go on for 6,000 years exactly... If it started at Rosh Hashanah, when should it end? At Rosh Hashanah. Second name is Yom Teruah. That's the one in the scriptures in the Hebrew. 
means the day of the awakening trumpet blast, which is where we get the term the Feast of Trumpets. Their name is Yom Hadin, the day of judgment. That's the day that believers stand the Bema Seat judgment and get our rewards. The white robes and the crowns. Yom Hadin. Hadin. H-A-D-I-N. Yep. Did you spell Yom Teruah? Okay, in Rosh Hashanah? Okay. Number four, Hamelech, which means the king. One of the ancient themes of this holy day is this is the day that Messiah gets crowned king. If, if you look over at the Shabbat table, there's supposed to be a round challah sitting over there in the shape of a crown to remind us of Hamelech. It was there last night. <laughs> Maybe we have mice, I don't know. The fifth name is Yom HaZikaron, the day of remembrance or memorial. Because if you remember in Leviticus chapter 23, it said, a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. We will look and see why it's a memorial. What's it a memorial of? What do we remember? Yeah, the Akedah. Mm-hmm. Number six, and perhaps most important to you, is called the last trumpet. The last trumpet. And I'll tell you why as we go through the study. The seventh, and perhaps most important as you look at Psalm 27, is Yom HaKisei, which is the hidden day. The day of our hiding or concealing. Remember David said, for in the time of trouble he shall hide me or conceal me. In his pavilion. Yeah. So, those are the names. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, Yom Hadin, Hamelik, Yom HaZikaron, The Last Trumpet, and Yom HaKisei. Every one of those is important to our understanding that the Feast of Trumpets is tied Oh, they're waving at the baby. Okay, I, I thought they were asking questions, but no, they were waving at the baby. Okay. Why this day is, is in, ex, you can't separate it from the rapture and the resurrection. So the first theme is repentance. Repentance. Turn to the book of Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. It has always been recognized that the messianic kingdom on earth will begin in the fall. At the fall holy days. So on the first day of the month of Elul, which was 30 days ago, began a 40-day period called Teshuvah, which means repentance. And if you go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, it says, in those days, but it doesn't tell you what days. It's the days of Teshuvah. The 40 days. It begins on the first day of Elul and then goes to the 10th day of Tishri, which is the day of atonement. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, the kingdom of heaven is being offered. 
which year it will be offered at the fall festivals, he didn't know. So this was the teaching every year at this time. All of Judea would fall out to the Jordan River and be baptized and repent of their sins in case this was the year that Messiah would bring in the kingdom. And then if you go to the end of Matthew 23, Messiah is baptized by John. And in verse 14, John tries to prevent him. He says, I need to be baptized by you and are you coming to me? But Yeshua answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What did he mean? Did Messiah have sins he needed to have baptized away? No. But he was about to turn how old? 30. At 30, a priest begins his ministry, and it begins with an immersion, a baptism. So he's about to begin his ministry. Verse 16, it says, Then he had, when he had been baptized, Yeshua came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then he's, he fasts for how long? Forty days. How long is the period of Teshuva? Forty days. What's the last day? The day of atonement. That's the day that Satan comes to tempt him. And does Messiah give in to the temptation? No, he does not. And then in verse 17, from that time Yeshua began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So in the 40 days of Teshuvah or repentance, there's the first 30 and then there's 10. And beginning with the Feast of Trumpets to the Day of Atonement, those 10 days have a special name. They're called Yamim Noraim. Y-A-M-I-M N-O-R-A apostrophe I-M which means the Days of Awe. Y-A-M-I-M space N-O-R-A apostrophe I-M. Oh, and let me answer Rachel's question. In Proverbs chapter 7, verse 20, it should say the full moon, which is the 15th day, the Feast of Tabernacles. Yamim Noraim. Yamim is the days of Noraim awe. A-W-E, awe. Or the days that are terrible. Between the rapture and the resurrection, and the Lord's return 10 days later. That pictures the tribulation period where God's wrath is being poured out. So it is a time where repentance is so much necessary. If you're left behind when rapture and resurrection comes, you still have the opportunity to be saved, but the, the need for repentance is so intense. Because what does the false Messiah do to every believer he can catch? Cuts off his head, yep. Why does the United States have a stock of tens of thousands of guillotines they've acquired recently? Hmm. I wonder. So the theme, the first one, repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is that a good theme for this year? I think it is because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is it this year? We'll find out soon. The second theme is creation. 
It's called Rosh Hashanah. That's a secular term. It means the head of the year or the new year. It's the beginning of the year on the civil calendar. Everybody knows that in Exodus chapter 12, God gave Israel a second calendar that begins in the spring. And since then, Israel has had two calendars. The one that begins in Tishri is called the civil calendar. The one that begins in Aviv is called the religious calendar or ceremonial calendar. According to the Talmud, which is a commentary, so it can be right or it can be wrong, that on Rosh Hashanah, that's the day that Adam and Eve were created. I mean, there's no reason to count time before there's somebody to count time, right? So that's what they say. On the first day of Tishri, that's when everybody got another year older. People didn't have birthdays like we have today. You were born in April, you were born in May. Everybody counted themselves another year older at Rosh Hashanah. A king added a year to his reign on Rosh Hashanah. If he'd been in, on the throne for a month, come Rosh Hashanah, he's now been on it a year and a month. You know, That's just the way things were counted. So if, as Elijah the prophet taught, the six days of creation prophesy 6,000 years till the day of the Lord, if it begins at Rosh Hashanah, the day of the Lord will begin at Rosh Hashanah. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. And I want you to see something that every one of you know about. If you've been listening to my teaching for any period of time. And that is Genesis chapter 1 is the creation of the world and all that surrounds it in six days. But look at verse 14, what God created on the fourth day. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. What are those lights? That's the sun and the moon. So they were created on the fourth day. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. They do help us keep track of the years and the days and the months, etc. But that word seasons is not right. The word season in Hebrew is zaman, Z-E-M-A-N. That's summer, spring, fall, winter. This word is moedim. So God put the sun and the moon in the heavens two days before man was created so that we would know when Passover is in first fruits, in the Feast of Trumpets, etc. So these things are not afterthoughts. God put the lights there so that we could determine the appointed times of the Lord even before mankind was created. Isn't that cool? Now go to, what's that? The answer to that is yes. Okay. And we'll get there. Oh, sorry. That's okay. You just know where I'm going. Go to John chapter 1. Well, I didn't know. That's why I 
I'm just so transparent you could see it. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. In the beginning, what's the first word of Genesis 1? In the beginning, Bereshit. There's a reason the words are exactly the same. God wants you to think back to the beginning of creation. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, as you think back to Psalm 27, huh? Then in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So who is this word we're talking about? This is our Messiah, Yeshua. He was in the beginning God, it says in John 1.1. And that he created the heavens and the earth, which means he put up the sun and the moon so that we would know the timing of his first and second coming. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn is not actually a good word. It means he existed before everything that was created. For by him, our Messiah Yeshua, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So when Messiah put, yes ma'am. Yes, that means he also created the hosts of heaven. So when Messiah put the sun and the moon up there to say when his first coming and second coming would be, how did he know when it would be? Because he's God. What does God know? Everything. Everything. If God can tell us the end from the beginning, it's because he knows the end from the beginning. Now let's turn to the fact that one of the themes of this day is the kingship. That's why we have the name Hamelech. Messiah becomes king. Prior to the rapture and the resurrection, how is Messiah always described? As the prince. Think of Isaiah 9, the prince of peace. But after the rapture and resurrection, he's known as the king. Let's go back to Psalm 98, verse 6. Yes, Bill? Uh, in, I've been asked this question, and I didn't know how to respond. Verse 15 uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Yes, and the word firstborn is not right. Okay. It means he existed before all creation. Okay. So you got to watch the English translators sometimes. Okay, so what was the word uh, Hebrew before? I mean, they got that. I would have to look. So talk to me afterwards. What would be a synonym then? If it's not really, I mean, firstborn, what would... He preceded. He preceded, okay. Mm -hmm. Or came before. So go to Psalm 98, verse 6. Yeah, I never liked the fact that they put that word firstborn in there to make it, they make it sound like 
something it's not. And they didn't do that by accident. Psalm 98, verse 6. Or let's just start in verse 1. We got till the Lord comes, right, to get done? <laughs> Psalm 98, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. What's the significance of the new song? Revelation 5. The rapture and resurrected saints sing a new song. Isaiah 26. The rapture and resurrected saints sing a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord. What's that shouting joyfully? A teruah. All the earth break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of his psalm, with trumpets. And the sound of a horn, a shofar, shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. So it signals that the Lord is King. That sound of the shofar, that trumpet blast, which is a shofar. Go to Psalm 47. Yes, ma'am. I just got to say it. Then say it. Every time you're talking about Teruah and, and the joy and the praising, I think of that verse, he inhabits the praises of his people. He inhabits the praises of his people. Yes. Yeah, he does. Oops, I have two questions out here. Let's see what they are. Mm. Okay, the Greek word for firstborn in Colossians 1.15 is Greek word 4416, prototokos. Okay. Now you know. Thanks. Did it help? <laughs> okay. Psalm 47. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Everybody clap your hands. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. What's that? Hallelujah. That's a teruah. That's a teruah. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He's a great king over all the earth. What does he do when he's crowned? He begins to rule. Verse 3, he will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. That talks about the tribulation period. Which came first, the tribulation period or the coronation? The coronation. The coronation comes at the Feast of Trumpets, followed by the tribulation period as God subdues the nations under his feet. Verse 5, God has gone up with a shout. What kind of a shout? A true of the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises for God is the king of all the earth. That's the millennial kingdom. So we've gone from the rapture and resurrection and the coronation of the king through the seven years of tribulation to the kingdom where God rules over all the earth. Verse 8, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne, which will be in the temple in Jerusalem, right? The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Amen. Go to Psalm 98. 
I'm just trying to show you the scriptures that cause these names and themes to be given to this day. Psalm 98. God bless you. You know, we read all that. Yeah, so let's go to, I, to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. What I had in my notes was to do just verse 6 and to come back and do the rest of it later, but I just couldn't help myself. Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is about the battle of Armageddon and how the nations of the earth under the United, non I mean United Nations try and keep the Lord from returning to rule and reign. Verse 1 says, why do the nations rage? The word nations means the Gentiles. And the people's plot a vain thing. A vain thing is something that will not happen. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. The anointed one is what Messiah means. Saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. It means we will not let Yeshua return and rule and reign over us. We will stop him from coming. The United Nations was founded what year? 1945. Israel became a nation, 1948. What have they been trying to keep from happening from the beginning? They've been trying to keep Israel from being a nation. One of their first decrees, is it number 181 or 188? That Israel must divide the city of Jerusalem and give half of it away. And they've been fighting ever since the formation of the nation of Israel to divide them, to break them. Mm -mm -mm. Verse, verse 4, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. What do we call that period where God's wrath is being poured out? Tribulation. Tribulation. He says, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. What's Zion? Jerusalem. Ezekiel 43 says Messiah puts his feet where? In the temple in Jerusalem and said, this is mine. Verse 7, I'll declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Yes, the Old Testament says God will have an only begotten son. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. That's the Messianic kingdom. You shall break them with a rod of iron. Shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. The next thing is remembrance. In Leviticus 23 it said, a day of remembrance. But remember what? What do we remember? Genesis chapter 22. This has always been the study for today. And it's all about resurrection. Genesis chapter 22. 
Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Avraham. And he said, what? Hanani. It means not just here I am, but here I am ready to do whatever you ask of me. Abraham didn't know what God was about to ask, did he? Then God said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Mount Moriah is what we call today the Temple Mount. Why didn't they call it that back in those days? Because there wasn't a temple. There wouldn't be for hundreds of years. And offer him there is a burnt offering. What people misunderstand, they read too quickly. They think God said, take him there and make him a burnt offering. But it doesn't say that. It says, offer him as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. There's a different verb from arose than arose early. Arose early means he's excited to get on this task. If God had asked me to take my son, my only son, I might have slept in late. But Abraham says, nope, God wants it, let's go. Saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. Why two young men? The Bible says on the word of two or more, let all things be established. So these are the two witnesses. And it's very important to the story that they go along. And Isaac, his son. The Talmudic sages tell us that Isaac is about 30 years old. Abraham's how old? About 130. If they get in a fist fight, who's going to win? Yeah, this is important to the story too. Which means Isaac goes voluntarily. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, on which day? On the third day. Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And what? We will come back to you. Abraham intends to sacrifice Isaac. And yet says, We will come back to you. How can we come back if there's only two of them going up and one of them's about to die? Must be resurrected. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Isaac goes voluntarily and must carry the wood. No pictures here. And he took the fire in his hand, was fire a picture of judgment. And a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, Avi, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, look, the fire in the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? He's not stupid. Mm. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. God will provide the lamb. So the two of them went together. Then he came to the place of which God had told him. It's the Temple Mount. The place where Messiah was crucified 2,000 years ago. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. If Isaac didn't want to be bound, you think Abraham could have bound him and laid him up there? No way. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Abraham missed thee and offer him there. 
He's planning to sacrifice Isaac. Does God have us ever sacrifice our children? No. To offer them to the Lord, yes. But the angel of the Lord, who's the angel of the Lord? That's Yeshua, our Messiah. Called to him from heaven and said, Avraham, Avraham. So he said, Hanani, here I am. What would you like? And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. There's got to be a sacrifice, and it's not going to be Isaac, so what? Look at verse 13. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him, that word behind is what? Achar. And it means either physically behind or in the future in time. Or both. In this case, it's both. There behind him was a ram. What's a ram? That's a male lamb. Caught in the thicket. The thicket represents the sins of the world. By its horns, which represents its power. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Had Abraham seen into the future Messiah die right here in place of Isaac? The answer is yes, and we're going to prove it in a minute. But first you see in verse 14, And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. Is that what that Hebrew word says? It's not. It says, the Lord will be seen. That is right here, the Lord will be seen, dying in place of Isaac and you and me. Okay, let me prove that he saw into the future Messiah die in place of Isaac. Let's go to John chapter 8. Because Messiah tells us himself. John chapter 8. And this is what we're supposed to remember on the Feast of Trumpets. John chapter 8, starting in verse 53, because we do have to get to lunch eventually. Verse 53, the scribes and the Pharisees are mad at Yeshua. It says, are you greater than our father Abraham who's dead? Anybody know the answer to that? Yes, he is. But they didn't think so. And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Their question can only be, are you trying to tell us you're God? Yeshua answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me of whom you say that he is your God. Ooh, talk about twisting the knife. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. How did Abraham see Messiah's day? Because the ram was caught in a thicket, achar, in the future. He saw Messiah die in place of Isaac. Can we prove it any further than that? Yes, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. 
Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 17. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 17. Not everybody's there. Let me give you a chance to find it. It comes right after Hebrews 10. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. God had told Abraham that his descendants would come through Isaac. And that was in Genesis chapter 21. The binding of Isaac is in chapter 22. So God had said, your descendants, all of them are going to come through Isaac. How many children did Isaac have? Zero. So if Abraham kills Isaac, and God doesn't raise him back from the dead, then God's promise that all your seed will come through Isaac would fail. So this is why Abraham told the two witnesses, we will come back to you. Verse 19 says, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, for which he also received him in a figurative sense. So from the very beginning, the Feast of Trumpets has been associated with the resurrection. All the way back in Genesis. But what do we know about the timing of the rapture and the resurrection? Happen at the same time. Right? Let's see. Let's explore that. Rosh Hashanah is referred to in the Torah as Yom Teruah. That's the Hebrew phrase. The day of the sounding of the shofar or the day of the awakening blast, as Teruah means an awakening blast. So a theme associated with Rosh Hashanah is the theme to awake. And Teruah, in addition to the trumpet blast, also includes the shout. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 12, verse 6, where the prophet Isaiah relates the shouting and the Teruah to the coming of Messiah to establish the kingdom. Isaiah chapter 12. We will start in verse 4. And in that day, what day? The day of the Lord. That's the day that begins with the rapture and resurrection. You will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord. That's that new song of Revelation 5 and Isaiah 26. For he has done excellent things. Make this known in all the earth. If your Bible says this is known, change it. Make this known in all the earth. Cry out and shout to inhabitant of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. So Isaiah 12, 6 puts the Atid Lavo, which is the day of the Lord, the Hebrew term for it, associates that to the shouting of the Teruah. Oh, let's just jump ahead a minute. Let's go up to Isaiah chapter 26. 
Brother Wayne, how do you spell Atid Lavau? Atid, A-T-I-D, Lavau, L-E-V-O, or L-A-V-O, your choice. Thank you. Yeah. Refers to the age to come. In Isaiah 26, <clears throat> starting in verse 19, we read about today. It says, Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Whose dead body? Isaiah. When a trumpet blows, Isaiah is planning to go. Awake and sing. There's that song of Revelation 5. Who dwell in dust. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people. Well, are all God's people dead when the trumpet blows? No, but he didn't say, come, my dead people. He said, come, my people. That's where the rapture and the resurrection get tied together. Come, my people, enter your chambers. The word chamber there is chadar, C-H-A-D-A-R. It's the bridal chamber. Who goes in the bridal chamber? It's only the bridegroom and the bride. So come into the bridal chamber and shut your doors behind you, just like God shut the door to the ark before the rains fell. It says, hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. That word indignation in Hebrew is za'am, Z-A apostrophe A-M. It is the tribulation period. So where are God's people when the tribulation period unfolds? We are in the bridal chambers. What did Messiah say in John 14? In my father's house are many mansions. Those mansions are the bridal chambers. So where does the bride and the bridegroom go as the tribulation unfolds on earth? To the bridal chambers in his father's house, which is in heaven. It says, for behold, the Lord comes out of his place. So after the indignation ends, Messiah comes out of the bridal chamber in Revelation 19 and comes to the earth for the battle of Armageddon. So to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, that word iniquity means lawlessness, that which is contrary to God's commandments. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. So this is the Old Testament scripture on the rapture and resurrection. The people of the Old Testament didn't understand that the rapture was included. Why? Did they have any idea about a church of some day? No. So they only understood the resurrection. It was Paul who first said, oh, wait a minute. My people, we're not all going to be dead. So let's go from here to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15... It's where Paul tells us at which of these festival days, these appointed times of the Lord, this is going to take place. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about resurrection. Starts out with Messiah being crucified, buried, and resurrected on the third day. In verse 20 it says, But now Messiah is risen from the dead, has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. But we want to start, given the time, in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot, meaning is not able, to inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. We should all realize that. Where is heaven? 
Keep looking up, right? If you were to get in an airplane with an open cockpit and start flying straight up, how long would you go before you died? For lack of oxygen. We cannot go in this physical mortal body. It requires air to breathe through the stars and etc. up to the throne of God. So yeah, it's pretty obvious that this body of flesh and blood cannot stand before God in heaven. Verse 51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Don't go to the English dictionary and look up the word mystery. It's from the Hebrew word sod, S-O-D. And it means a deeper understanding of scripture that we've known all along. It's referring back to 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, to Isaiah chapter 26 that we just looked at. The mystery is, the deeper meaning is, we shall not all sleep, that is, we won't all have died. So Isaiah 26 must include those that are still alive. So he says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. What's one of the names for the Feast of Trumpets? The last trumpet. I'll tell you why in a minute. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So which trumpet sounds? That's the trumpet of Rosh Hashanah, or Yom Teruah, the day of the awakening trumpet blast. The dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. You know what you hear so often? That last trumpet refers to the seventh trumpet in Revelation, right? That Paul had just finished reading Revelation and was writing about that seventh trumpet. What's the only problem with that? Paul died 30 years before Revelation was written. There was no Revelation. There was no seven trumpets to be heard. <clears throat> so, we have to say... The people that Paul was speaking to, would they have known what he meant by the last trumpet? Yes, he would. They would. Okay. There's two kinds of trumpets used in the Bible. There are silver trumpets like in Revelation. Those seven trumpets are silver trumpets. And then there's the shofar or ram's horn. According to Leviticus 23 verse 24 that we read a little while ago, and Numbers 29.1, this day is associated with the blowing of trumpets. According to the Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah 16a and Rosh Hashanah 3.3, the trumpet that sounded is not a silver trumpet, it is the ram's horn, the shofar. So in John's book of Revelation, there are seven silver trumpets which are separate and distinct from the ram's horn trumpet, which is what this is. What do you call this kind of shofar? No. It's a Yemenite triple twist shofar. All that means is it was a really big ram that had that horn on it. Okay. Now, Paul wrote more than 1 Corinthians 15. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which was actually written first. 1 Thessalonians was the first epistle that Paul wrote. And in every chapter of it, he talks about the rapture and the resurrection. First Thessalonians 4. 
As you're turning there in 1 Corinthians 15, what signaled the rapture and resurrection? The blowing of a trumpet, a shofar. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, Paul says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. So what's he calling them? Ignorant. Yeah. Concerning those who've fallen asleep. What does he mean by those who've fallen asleep? Those who've died as believers in Messiah. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Yeshua died and rose again. How many of you believe that? That he died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Yeshua. So when Messiah returns, God will bring with him those that have been caught up here. Hmm. Verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. What's it mean by the word of the Lord? Did he get this from God? Yes. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. What's that shout? A teruah. With the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead of Messiah will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So in 1 Corinthians 15 and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, what signals the rapture and the resurrection is the sounding of the trumpet with the shout. That double teruah, the trumpet blast and the shout. Let's go to John 14. I mentioned it a minute ago, but let's read it. John 14, starting in verse 1. This is the only place Messiah mentions the rapture and resurrection. It's not in Matthew 24. John 14 verse 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Oops, you're not there yet. Let me wait a minute. Do, 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 do. John 14 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house. Where is the Father's house? Is it on earth? Nope. It's in heaven. Are many mansions. My Bible has an asterisk down below. It says, well, it's not really mansions. It's the bridal chambers of Isaiah chapter 26. So in Isaiah 26, when it said, come, my people, enter the bridal chambers, where are they, according to Messiah? In my Father's house. They're in heaven. They're not on earth. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That is the rapture and the resurrection. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. And of course, Thomas says, ah, we don't know. The Messiah slaps him a couple times. It's not in there. I just added it. <laughs> Yeshua said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. What's he mean you've seen the father? John 10, he said, I and my father are one. That's right. If you see me, you've seen the father. Okay, where else in Scripture is this day? It's in Revelation chapter 4. 
Revelation chapter 4. Verse 1 says, After these things, after what things? After the church age described in the seven letters of Revelation 2 and 3. I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. All of John's Jewish audience said, Oh, it's which day? It's Yom Teruah. That's the day the door to heaven opens. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, Come up here. Show the trumpet and a shout, Come up here. And I'll show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit. It's just a vision. It didn't happen 2,000 years ago. He just saw it in a vision. And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Who sits on the throne according to the book of John? All judgment has been given to the Son. Yeshua sits on the throne. He sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. So what? Well, that's the first and the last breastplate stone of the high priest. Remember Hebrews chapter 9, Yeshua is our great high priest. Nope, it's the first and last stone in the breastplate of the high priest. Twelve tribes. Twelve tribes, yep. And there was a rainbow around the throne. A rainbow. What was the rainbow? It was the symbol that God would never again pour out what? Judgment without mercy. Mercy is in Messiah. In appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Are those angels? No, those are people. They've received their rewards. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire are burning before the throne, which are these seven spirits of God from Isaiah chapter 11. Let's go to chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Those seven seals are the seven seals that begin the, the tribulation period. But they're not opened yet. The document that was sealed with seven seals was a title deed. So it's the title deed to the earth that Adam lost to Satan back in the garden. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? That means the tribulation period hasn't started yet when we come to chapter 5. The rapture and resurrection has taken place, and the believers have received their robes and crowns, the Bema Seat judgment, but the scroll has not opened the first seal yet. Verse 3, and no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open a scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Can any one of us pay back to God what Adam lost in the garden? None of us have the ability to redeem the earth. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, 
having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. This is our Messiah, Yeshua. They said, we found someone who is worthy. In verse 9, remember in Isaiah 26, it talked about that new song. Here it is. And they sang a new song saying, what does the word saying mean? It's a quote. These are the words. You, which refers to Messiah Yeshua, are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. What's that referring to? The crucifixion. And have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. How did all these people get up to heaven from every tribe and tongue and people and nation? That's the rapture and the resurrection that got us there. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. So where are they at this point? They are in heaven. Looking forward to the time that they will return with Messiah and rule and reign. Chapter 6 verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. This begins the tribulation period. This releases the false Messiah to confirm the seven-year covenant of Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. So where are these saints that are singing songs to Messiah about having redeemed us to God by your blood when the first seal is opened? They are in heaven. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 9 and see what that first seal does for us. Not just in heaven, but in the firmament. Yeah. That's where the Bema Seed judgment takes place. Of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. We may as well do 24 through 27 to make sure we understand the context. It says 70 weeks are determined, but the word is not weeks. That's wrong. Everybody, what is the word for weeks? Shavuot. Shavuot. This word is Shavuim. Not Shavuot, Shavuim. So it's 77s is what it says. 77s. It doesn't say seven what. If I say I need you quickly, bring me a dozen... What do you have to ask? Doesn't want. So 77s are determined. They're actually weeks of years. Just like there are six days in a week followed by the Sabbath, the years do that too. There are six years followed by the Sabbath year. And that's what we're talking about. A seven-year block of time. There are 70 of those. For your people, that's Israel. For your holy city, that's Jerusalem. To finish the transgression and make an end to sins. To make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring an everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. That means by the end of these 70 periods of 7 years. All Israel will have been saved. As prophesied in Romans 11 verse 26. Salvation comes only through faith. Through the shed blood of Messiah. So sometime in this period, Messiah is going to have to be born, be crucified, buried, resurrected, and Israel's going to have to accept him as Messiah and king. So let's read on. 
Verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, who gave that command? I'm sorry? No, it's in the book of Ezra. But the one who gave it was Artaxerxes Longeminus, otherwise called Darius, the son of Esther. From the book of Esther, the story of Purim. Until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks, that's 49 years, and 62 weeks, which brings us to the end of 483 years. It brings us to the first century. The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And it was. That took 49 years, that first group of seven. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. What's that mean to be cut off? He's going to be killed. But not for himself, meaning not for any sins of his own. But he died for our sins. And the people of the prince who is to come, that prince is the false messiah, antichrist, beast of Revelation 13, whichever term you prefer, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. When was Jerusalem and the temple destroyed after that? It was 70 AD, right? 70 common era. Who destroyed it? Rome. Under the command of Titus and Vespasian. The end of it shall be with the flood. It was. Why was there a flood? Because they burned the temple. All the gold ran down between the stones. And how do you get the gold out from between the stones? You run water through it. You end it with a flood. Until the end, that is until we come to the time of the end, there's going to be wars and desolations. Verse 27, Then he, that's the false Messiah, the prince who is to come, of verse 26, shall confirm. It does not mean to sign. It means to enlarge and make strong. That is to give military might behind it. A covenant with many for one week. That is for one seven year period. That seven year period we call the tribulation period. So the first seal releases the false Messiah. And in Daniel 9.27 he confirms a covenant with many for a seven year period. But in the middle of the week, that's in Daniel chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 12, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering and sets up an abomination of desolations and declares himself to be God. Okay. Go back to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Did I hear a question? Oh, no, apparently not. Okay. In Matthew 24, Messiah has just told them that the temple is going to be destroyed. He did that while standing in the temple. And they're going, what? Verse 1, Then Yeshua went out and departed from the temple. His disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. Hey, Lord, look, they're all fine. Nothing's been destroyed. No stones missing. Yeshua said to them, Do you not see all these things? As surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another shall not be thrown down. That was fulfilled in 70. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? Parousia, the coming is the king bringing in a kingdom. And at the end of the age, which takes us to the Messianic kingdom. 
Did they ask about a rapture or resurrection? No. So, verse 4, Yeshua answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. That's the first seal. He starts after the rapture and resurrection. They didn't ask about that. They wanted to know what the signs are that he's coming to bring in the kingdom. So he starts with the first seal, the release of the false messiah. Verse 6, you hear of wars and rumors of wars. That's the second seal, the red horse, which is war. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. The goal, the messianic kingdom, is not here yet when they open the second seal. Verse 7, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. Famines. That's the third seal, the black horse. Pestilences, that's the fourth seal, the sickly green colored horse. And earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. That word sorrows in Greek is odin. It means the birth pains. So the birth pains begin with the opening of the first seal. Go to verse 36. But of that day and hour, no man knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. People overlook that word of. The word of means about or concerning that day. It doesn't really say as so many people say, no man knows the day or the hour. They left words out and changed the meaning. But there is a day called the day that no man knows. It's been called that for thousands of years. And that's the Feast of Trumpets. Because what are we all watching for? The first sliver of the new moon. When will it be shown? Will we see it today or will it be tomorrow? Will it be at 5 o'clock or will it be at 9 o'clock? No one knows. So when you hear the day that is concealed, the day that no man knows, it's referring to the Feast of Trumpets. It's the only one of the appointed times that begins at the first sliver of the new moon. Now, so, let, so, what's that, Bill? Uh, the word of should be changed or thought of differently. Thought of differently. The word of means concerning or about. What's that day going to be like? The day of the Lord. You and I cannot conceive of the horrors of the tribulation period. How many of you have seen movies and documentaries on the Holocaust? Or you've been to Yad Vashem in Israel or in D.C.? And you see how horrible that was. A third of the Jewish population died in the Holocaust. In the tribulation period, two-thirds perish. In World War I and World War II, how many millions of people died? By the time the tribulation period's over, it's going to be like five billion people have died. We cannot imagine the kind of destruction and pain and sorrow that's going to go on. And that's what I think this is talking about. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows. You can't conceive how horrible it's going to be. Okay. My wife's just something stating that the sliver of the new moon has been sighted in Israel already. She's seen something. Okay, well, we'll worry about that later because I 
No problem. Okay. Let me tell you something from Jewish commentaries that's not in the scripture. So I can't tell you if it's true or not, but it sure sounds good. If you go back to uh, Genesis 22 in your mind, you don't have to turn back there. There was a ram caught in a thicket by what? Its horns. According to Pirkei Avot, which is the sayings of the fathers, Rabbi Eliezer says that the left horn of that ram that was sacrificed in place of Isaac is the trumpet that was blown in Exodus chapter 15 when God came down upon Mount Sinai to enter into a covenantal relationship with mankind, to betroth the children of Israel to himself. And he says that the right horn of that ram, called the last trumpet, is the one that will sound at the Feast of Trumpets to herald the return of Messiah. So the first trumpet announced the betrothal. The last trumpet announces the marriage. The bridegroom takes the bride. And then go back to Matthew 24. There's a third trumpet that has a name. And that's the great trumpet or the shofar hagadol in Hebrew. That's in Matthew chapter 24. And it sounds at the end of the tribulation period to announce Messiah's return for Armageddon. So Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. Joel told us that was going to happen. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Revelation describes all that. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. That's in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. That's Zechariah 12:10, And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The clouds of heaven refer to the resurrected saints. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. That's the shofar hagadol. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So the three trumpets, according to the ancient sages, the first announces the betrothal, the second announces the marriage ceremony, the third announces the marriage supper. Certainly seems to fit the scriptures. Another name... For the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah is Yom Hadin, Y-O-M space H-A-D-I-N. Yom means day, ha, the, din, judgment. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 4. Verse 2, immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. What does he sit on the throne for? For judgment. This judgment is called the Bema Seat. It's where we get our rewards. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which, de which describes it for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 11.
1 Corinthians 3, starting verse 11. Are we there? The pages are still turning. There we are. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Messiah Yeshua. Is there any other way of salvation? None. So the, you're not going to stand the Bema Seat judgment for rewards unless you're saved by faith through Messiah's shed blood. Verse 12, though. Now, if anyone builds in this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, these are what you've done after you got saved. Did you obey God or didn't you? Verse 13 says, Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. What day? The day of the Lord. That's when this judgment is, when the day of the Lord begins. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. Salvation is by faith, not by works. But our rewards in heaven are based upon what did we do after we got saved? Did we obey God or didn't we? But that's no, that's, that is no uh, signal to say that complacency is good. No, certainly not. Let's go back to Daniel 7 and see it in the Old Testament. Daniel 7. Verses 9 to 10. This takes place in Revelation chapter 4 at the Feast of Trumpets. I watched till thrones were put in place. Remember in Revelation, Messiah sat on the throne, the 24 elders sat on thrones. Those are the thrones that are put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated, that's Messiah. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. What tests our work in 1 Corinthians 3? Fire. A fiery stream issuing came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was opened. I'm sorry, the court was seated, and the books were opened. How many books? There's three books. The book of the law, what you should have done. The book of deeds, what you did. And the Lamb's book of life. And it says in 1 Corinthians 3, what's being judged? Our works. What's written in the books? Did we follow God's commandments or didn't we? Let's go to Revelation chapter 22 verse 12. It tells us the same thing. Revelation 22, verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Isn't that what Revelation 4 said in Daniel chapter 7 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3? He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, or in Hebrew, I am the Aleph and the Tav. The beginning and the end, the first and the last, which is Isaiah's 41 verse 4's way of saying that the Lord is God. So Messiah says here, I am God, I've always been. Verse 14 says, blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. So they're comparing what did we do 
versus what we should have done. Verse 15 said, But outsider dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Then in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, it reinforces the same thing about the books. Revelation chapter 20 is about the great white throne judgment at the end of the millennial kingdom, but it's still talking about the books. So in verse 12 it says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. So that's the book of the law and the book of deeds. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. So this is the place where it describes the books. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. We have about three minutes, so we have one last set of scriptures. Let's go to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 takes us through the seven-year tribulation period from beginning to end. Joel chapter 2. So what Richard was telling us a minute ago is that they have seen the first sliver of the new moon in Israel, so the count's on. Yeah, the trumpet doesn't sound at the first sighting of the new moon. That's when the festival begins, and it continues until the last trumpet blows of the festival. Okay. Joel 2, one, are you there? This is the whole tribulation period laid out for us. How long ago? 2,300 years plus, 2,500 years. It says, blow the trumpet in Zion. This is the trumpet of Rosh Hashanah, of Yom Teruah, the last trumpet. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. What does that alarm mean? War is coming. What's the second seal of the tribulation? War, the red horse. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. So the beginning of the day of the Lord is marked here by the sounding of the trumpet. There's the rapture and the resurrection. Now the tribulation period unfolds. Verse 2, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. Excuse me. Thank you. A people come, great and strong. That's the red horse. The like of whom has never been. Nor there ever be any such after them for many successive generations. A fire devours before them and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the garden of Eden before them and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses. Hey, if that doesn't give it away. Like swift steeds, so they run. With the noise like chariots over mountaintops they leap. Like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stumble. Like a strong people set in battle array. Before them the people writhe in pain. All, face, all faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation, and they do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column, though they lunge between the weapons. They're not cut down. 
They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars diminish their brightness. Remember from Matthew chapter 24. The Lord gives voice before his army. His camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Aren't you glad we won't be here for it? Verse 12. Now therefore says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. What's that mean? Repent with all your heart. With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, surrender your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, so to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. So all through the tribulation period, with the wrath of God being poured out and all the wars, all the violence, God still calls people to repent. Even in the midst of all the tribulation. In verse 15, the tribulation period ends. Blow the trumpet in Zion. This is the great trumpet that Shofar Hagadol we read about in Matthew 24. How do we know? Because it says consecrate a fast. What's the only fast day among the appointed times? Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the day that teaches Messiah returns. And what happens to anyone who's not saved at that point? They die. So isn't it neat that God calls for repentance and turning to him right before the end? Right up to the very end, God calls us to repent, to live and not die. So it says, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. That means a concluding assembly. The tribulation period ends here. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, nursing babes. Here's the key you need. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber. Who's the bridegroom? That's Messiah. That's Revelation 19.11. And the bride from her dressing room. Who goes with the bridegroom when he returns? The bride. Let the priests who minister to the poor, to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? So as Messiah is returning with the hosts of heaven, the priests are crying out to the Lord, don't let the false Messiah win. Verse 18, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. That's Zechariah 14. Let's turn there. I said one last, but, well, this will be the last. Zechariah 14, verses 1 to 3, and then we're done. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. See how that matches up with Joel 1? And your spoil will be divided in your midst, which means Jerusalem will be divided. What's the United Nations been trying to do for 80 years now almost? For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem, because Jerusalem won't allow itself to be divided. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. That's Armageddon. That's Revelation 19. That's how Joel 
2 and Zechariah 14 go together. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. If there was still time, we go to Joel chapter 3. When it talks about those who try and divide the land. But we're out of time, so we'll stop. Because we must close in prayer. But first, what is our traditional closing? Lashana Tova Tikatevu. Which means, may you be inscribed for a good year. It means, may your name be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because whatever we've done, if our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, we can look forward to the day of the Lord. Let's pray.